morning he says that he has overcome the world. When, when all I see is a battle, you see my victory.
Let's turn around and say hi to someone, greet each other this morning. presence in this room this morning. Invite him into your heart. Invite him to your life.
for his presence this morning. So as we go into this next song, I just want to um, just be reminded about how great God's faithfulness is um, and how, you know, when we, when we go to him and we give him whatever, whatever it is that we have, our time, our resources, our skills, our talents, he's just so faithful to turn that in to hit and, and do good work with it, you know. He may, all, all good things come from him. And so as we head in this next song, just be reminded um, of that and think about that as we can, we can uh, offer what we can offer to him, right? And knowing that he's super faithful. Like we're, we're, we're very unfaithful and he is very faithful to take anything that we give him um, out of love and out of faithfulness to what he's going to do and he's going to work it for good. So you can see there's three ways to give. Um, but, you know, those are just three ways to give out of our resources. There's also time and energy and skills. And so put that on your heart, and let's go ahead and sing about his great faithfulness this morning. Yeah. Hey. 
forsaking us. Thank you for your presence this morning. As we head into uh, our next song, I'm just going to take a moment and kind of talk about that faithful, faithfulness even more. Um, and then we'll sing one more song and we'll have communion. But, you know, I was thinking on, on that word faithfulness and I thought it was perfect. Um, I'm going to pull it up on my phone really quick so I don't get it wrong. But I was watching uh, season two of The Chosen. Just started, so if you haven't haven't seen that show, a little plug. It's definitely worth it. And I, I won't give anything away, but in season two, uh, something stood out to me. They did in the first two episodes, I think, both of them. Jesus had taught his disciples a prayer, and it was really simple, um, but it really stood out to me. He just said, they held out their hands. They said, "I am thankful before you, living and enduring King." For you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Great is your faithfulness. You know, that made me think of Lamentations where it says, his compassions are new every morning. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I can't help but think Jesus is referencing that that passage. and, And it's cool because when they say, they start, they, they approach his presence with thankfulness. And I was like, what if I had that attitude each day? Like, man, thank you for this new life you've given me, God. And they say, for you have restored my soul within me. We have this new life. And it's so cool because the disciples are already experiencing this newness of life, this restored soul, um, just because they're with Jesus. But Jesus knew that the sin issue hadn't been taken care of yet. And that's where we really, really, truly get the newness of life through his death and then his resurrection. And, but, you know, they were already experiencing the, the restored soul because they were just in his presence. But this morning, I want you to just mull on that, think about that, how great God's faithfulness is that he restores our soul, and it's through Christ's death and resurrection that he, that he offers new life. So we're going to sing one more song this morning about his holiness and, how, and his faithfulness, really. And then when we're done, uh, you can take communion. Bye. 
Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, for your body which you willingly surrendered to death on a cross, for your blood which you willingly shed, all so you could do, deal with our sin problem, all so that you could redeem, purchase humanity, make new life now and in eternity possible. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. So now, Lord, as we look at your word and as we reflect on your ways, we ask for your spirit to strengthen us. We live in a time where we are in desperate need of more of you. Every one of us needs you. So speak to us from your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you this morning, whether you're here in person or whether you're online. Uh, we're just thrilled that you've joined us today. You know, in the last 12, 13 months, America has seen multiple angry protests about police violence and racism. We've all been through a contentious election where anger was intentionally stirred by the media and both political parties. Simultaneously, we've all been dealing with anger provoked by the coronavirus pandemic. There's been anger directed at public officials because they've shut down parts of our society. There's been anger directed at public officials because some believe that they did not do enough to curb the virus. There's been anger about online schools and heated debate about when and how to reopen. There's been anger about being required to wear a mask. There's been anger at those who refuse to wear a mask. There's been anger about the vaccine and whether you should take it or not and how it was made and why it was made and on and on and who made it. And I could go on. There's been anger about many things. And in all of this, people believe that their anger is justified. Hear me. It's justified because lives are at stake. In the words of one expert, we're living right now in a giant anger incubator. And I think he nailed it. Another expert accurately states the country is now dealing with three disasters superimposed on top of each other, the pandemic, the economic fallout, civil unrest. And I'd say that if, you know, we could probably stack a couple of more disasters on there if we really, really wanted to get technical. In my seasoned pastoral opinion, we have at least a cultural three-alarm fire that's often being exploited by the media and politicians instead of extinguished by them. Which means people, followers of Jesus, we have to work extra hard to keep our cool. People of God are going to have to work at this. This is not going to just be an easy thing any more than being anger-free has ever been an easy thing. Otherwise, guess what? We'll add to the anger problem in our culture, which is not what God wants for his people. You know, in today's environment, what's desperately needed is not another protest or social program or government intervention or a new tax or a police re-education or the redistribution of wealth or raising awareness through some clever marketing scheme. According to the Bible, what's really needed is every one of us needs to begin to take intentional strategic steps to diffuse anger 
personally and individually. We have to de-escalate the anger. And if we're going to succeed at that, it has to begin with me. I can't sit and point my finger at the culture around me. I can't do that. I mean, we can look at that and say, boy, I wish there was change in that area. But guess what? Change has to begin right here with moi, me, little old me, little old you. And according to the Bible, because of Jesus, each of us is capable of diffusing anger if we will do what the scriptures say and not love our anger and not cling to it. For the next few minutes, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 together to gain some insight from Scripture, some wisdom on how to lay aside anger, how to diffuse it. It's very possible, in fact, throughout this series, there's going to be things that we're going to be talking about related to this, you know, how to keep your cool. And this is part one of diffusing anger. You could argue that all four weeks of this is pretty much diffusing anger in one fashion or another. But um, this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 together. It's a familiar passage, perhaps, to some of you. Uh, but I want us to listen carefully to what Scripture tells us. Feel free to turn there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look there. If, uh, if you've got a Bible on your app, a Bible app on your phone, you can look there. Uh, or you can follow along on the screen uh, because we'll have the passages here as uh, we read this block of Scripture together. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Listen close to what God tells us here in this passage. The passage says, Instead, let the Spirit... The Holy Spirit's about speaking, but let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We can spend the next few weeks breaking down this single passage and meticulously applying it to our lives because it's rich with insight and wisdom for how God would have his children to live. But since there are other passages that we need to look at in the coming weeks in this series, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to quickly highlight seven steps to diffusing anger from our hearts and lives that are addressed in these verses. And you say, seven steps, will we be here seven days? And the answer is no, you really won't. Uh, seven steps, because this is not, um, much of what we're going to look at in Scripture this morning is not foreign to us. It's just sometimes not put into practice. 
And so as we look at Scripture this morning, I think my hope and I believe God's hope for us is that we'll listen close, that in the process we'll just say, oh, this is an area I've not been paying attention to. I need to begin to allow, need to diffuse anger in my heart and life based on this or that thing that the Scripture says. I hope you'll listen close, not just for your own benefit. I hope you'll listen close so that you can mentor the people in your life to put into practice the teachings of Scripture, because honestly, it does need to, shall we say, metastasize beyond us, okay? It needs to spread. It needs to be contagious. And by nature, it is, because we and I were made to live in a state of calmness. That was how God made us, not a, not a state of riled up emotion and intense anger and frustration. I mean, these are, these are the ways that evil has historically manipulated people since Genesis 4 and ever since. If you're wondering, what's he talking about in Genesis 4? Just go read it this afternoon and you'll see. But we need to mentor people in our lives on how to put, the practice, put into practice the teaching of Scripture we're going to see today. And then the other thing we need to do is you need to listen close because you and I need to, in the time in which we live, we need to be praying strategically about these things for the sake of our nation, for the healing of its people. And so, uh, so let's work our way through these seven steps to diffusing anger from our hearts and lives. The first that you're going to find if you look at Ephesians 4 is you and I need to put on a new nature. If you look at verse 24 there real carefully, it says, put on your new nature created to be like Christ, truly righteous and holy. Let me just begin by saying it has an assumption. The text has an assumption. The assumption is that you have, in fact, given your life to Christ, that you have, in fact, surrendered yourself and recognized that my old nature is not working real well for me. My old nature is the nature of sin, and it's, and it's laden with anger and manipulation and my wants and my needs and my, what, what I, I, it's all about me. But when I die to Christ, you know, die to sin, I, I, I choose to live for Christ is what happens in me. And what happens in that process is God gives you or me a new spirit. Some of us have been listening to Bible teaching and we've been, been, been coming to church even, but we've never really given our lives to Jesus. And we wonder sometimes, why, is my, why have my desires not changed? Well, maybe you've not given your life. You've maybe not surrendered yourself to Jesus. Some of us, that's true. We just haven't done it. But scripture here is saying, put on your new nature, your new nature. And who's it come from? The Holy Spirit put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and me, when we give our lives to Christ and when we are baptized, the scripture teaches, what happens is this new spirit begins to emerge within us. And verse 23 tells us what that new spirit does. 23 says... Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. He's going to begin to, to transform and change our thoughts, attitudes, desires, our very nature. It's something He alone can do. The soul needs a makeover in you and me that only the Holy Spirit can bring about. It begins with just Asking Him in, seeking Him, surrendering ourselves to Him. And His Word, and the Spirit is going to speak ways to you that um, 
will lead you over time toward diffusing anger and the kind of righteous, holy life that we see reflected in Jesus. It's what he'll do. It's what he will do. And here's the path that he'll walk us down. And he'll actually help us want to walk this path. He's going to help us to stop lying, which is the second step to diffusing anger. He's going to help us want to stop lying. Verse 25 just says, So stop telling lies. Let us tell neighbors, our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. What he knows about you and me is that none of us like being lied to. And since none of us like being lied to, guess what? We're to treat others the way we would want to be treated, right? We just don't lie. Endeavor to begin becoming the kind of person who tells the truth. And here's part of why this relates to anger. What do lies do in the hearts and lives of, of, of people in relationship? If you lie to me, teenagers, if you lie to your parents about who you were hanging out to, with, how does that work out, generally speaking, once they find out? And they will. God has a way of tipping parents off to things that they would never know under any other circumstance. If you're a young person listening, just trust me on that. I can guarantee you there are things that we knew about our boys that they had zero clue that we know. And moms and dads are pretty good at being quiet sometimes on these matters. But what's, what's lying to your parents do? Or husbands and wives, if you lie to one another about where you spent the money, where'd it go? I don't know. How does that go over? What's it do? What's, when we lie, what happens? It stirs anger, doesn't it? It just escalates it. It doesn't diffuse it. It escalates it. When we lie to family members, employers, when governments and media outlets lie, what's it do in a culture? It stirs anger. You don't have to be a social scientist to know that. You just have to read your Bible. That's what it does. So stop telling lies. It's the second step to diffusing anger, and the Holy Spirit can help us make progress in this area. The third step to diffusing anger is we've got to maintain self-control. Look at verse 26. It says this, Don't sin by letting anger control you. I just want you to think carefully about what it says. Don't sin by letting anger control control you. Do you hear what Scripture's saying there? It's saying that forfeiting self-control to anger is what? Say it. It's a sin. Part of our problem in our culture is we don't want to call sin, sin. I mean, we're in a generation where we want to make our private sins public, and we want to make religion private. So what's going on in our world right now? It's a reversal, complete reversal is what's happening. It's the evil one's strategic move right now in our nation. And you and I need to be really clear about what sin is. And this passage is saying that if I'm just 
giving way, the self-control, surrendering self-control to anger, it's saying it's a sin. It's a sin in the eyes of God. So you and I have got to wrestle with, are we indulging anything that's weakening our self-control? And if so, what is that? Because guess what? If it's undermining self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, it's probably sin as well. At some point. Maybe not in its inception, but give it a little time and it becomes sin quickly because the evil one wants to push you and me in that direction. An occasional drink out at dinner with your pasta gets pushed to being a buzz and being drunkenness. Somewhere along the line, it becomes sin. Medications, legal, illegal drugs, you know. Maybe it's useful at some point, but guess what? It can be pushed to the point where it's what? Sin. You say, but it's legal. Legal. It was legal to murder a Jew in Nazi Germany. Did that make it right? Answer. No, no. Many things in the history of the earth have been legal that have been wrong morally. What's true in history is true in the present and in your life and mine. But I can't get by without these things. What if that's not true? What if that's just a lie straight from the pit of hell and the evil one just is stirring this stuff in you to manipulate and control you, and he does not want you to find the freedom that God has intended for you. See, if we're going to diffuse anger, and I'd say if we're going to diffuse a whole lot of other sin areas in our lives, we've got to stop forfeiting self-control to sins. And when I say forfeit, I use that word intentionally because... Many times we surrender without a fight. <laughs> it's just our culture. We think in our minds, if I have to fight this, guess what? That ain't right. I just ought to be able to give in and it'd be okay. Got another series one of these days where we're going to talk about sin. Because our culture needs to remember this. If you're inclined to murder someone, is that just okay? Just, I can't, I can't fight that desire. Can't, it ought to just come naturally for me to not want to murder somebody. So if I feel like I got to fight. We all know intend, instinctively that this is just wacky. We have other areas of struggle in our lives, and we think if I have to struggle and fight against that, then there's something wrong, and I, you know, I just got to give in. Well, That's called surrender, forfeiting, self-control, to anger or lust or pick your category, and it's going to create and stir anger and difficulty and relational dissension, and, and you're not going to be at peace. 
If we're going to diffuse anger, we've got to maintain self-control is what that passage in verse 26 is trying to convey to us. And there's a fourth step to diffusing anger. If we were to just camp on this in the text, it's verse 26 and 27, and that is we're going to diffuse it. We've got to learn to go to bed anger-free. Look at verse 26, the second part of it. It says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to who? What's the text say? The devil. Apparently he's a real person because the Bible's personifying him here. You're giving a foothold to the devil when you and I let the sun go down on, our, uh, on us while we're still angry. So how do, we, uh, how do we do something about that? How does somebody go to bed anger-free? Maybe it starts with reconciling before you go to bed. Laura and I used to do this with our boys, and sometimes it was very inconvenient because we would try to, we'd be at odds and tension going to bed, you know, bedtime, and we just wanted to go to bed, and we're tired, exhausted, and, you know, one or the other of us have to go sit in their room, and before we could even pray with them before bed, it's kind of like we had to apologize for our attitude. Hear me, even if they were predominantly in the wrong, like, I had to apologize for my piece in it, even if they didn't in that moment apologize. You know what happened 99, 98% of the time? As I'm apologizing about what I did wrong, guess what? They kind of soften and it diffuses things and they kind of would fess up to what they did that wasn't quite right. Reconcile with your spouse, with your kids. I mean, forgive some of us have got people in our lives who've hurt us and we're just carrying a grudge. We're just, we're determined to go to bed angry because this person has it coming. They should never have gotten away with what they did. And you're right, they should never have gotten away with it. They shouldn't have. And the people of Jesus' day should have never gotten away with crucifying him, you know? And the people of the apostles' day should have never gotten away with the things that they did to the apostles and you know, in the early church, I mean, people confiscated their houses and their, their properties. All, all that they had because they were believers and followers of Jesus, they should have never gotten away with that. And we could go on and on with that kind of thinking the rest of, you know, the, rest of the morning. And the fact is, forgiveness is not about whether or not they deserve to receive it. Forgiveness is about me recognizing that I'm not the judge. I can't, I'm not the judge and jury of this person. I got to forgive they stand or fall before God, not me. So we humbly just extend forgiveness in our spirit, whether or not you, have, you don't always have to say it to them. You just have to lay the anger down, lay your rights down like Jesus did. We've got to forgive, learn to forgive. The Holy Spirit can help us want to forgive. I've thought about this a lot too when it comes to going to bed anger-free. We need to not feed anger at bedtime. Part of, I, I think, for our generation, something that kind of flows out of this idea really is just, we just need to not feed anger at bedtime. Some of us probably watch television at bedtime. 
You know what happened to me if I watched the news at bedtime? I'd be doing this. Or if I maybe maybe say, I don't watch the news. Do you watch those? Do you have your on your Facebook account? Do you have the videos that just automatically turn on? Do you have your your settings set so that they just videos automatically play? Guess what? You see news at times that I would I would wager a lot of us sit and stare at Facebook a few minutes before bed. A lot of people do. You're just inviting it in. Just inviting it in. Some of us surf internet sites at bedtime. View the Facebook pages of people who've hurt us, lied to us, tempted us, etc. We got to learn to go to bed anger free. If we're going to diffuse anger, we got to do this. We got to maintain self-control and we've got to we got to go to bed anger-free. And the only way to do that is if we... Nobody can make it happen for us, except for us. We just, we just got to do it. Just got to do it. And according to Ephesians 4, the passage, the consequences for ignoring this, not taking it seriously, is the devil is given, if you look at the text, a foothold. A foothold in you and in me if we don't do this. I once heard a Bible teacher who wisely pointed out a foothold easily becomes a stronghold, which eventually becomes a stranglehold. It's the the trajectory of it all. And let me just say that leads to a poor night's sleep. So if you want to sleep better, diffuse the anger. Have fewer relationally tense violent dreams if you'll let this stuff go, if you'll do it. Fifth step to diffusing anger, according to this passage, is don't steal, work hard and be generous. It's really what that passage is, what it says in verse 28. Look at verse 28. It just says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work And then give generously to others in need. Don't steal. Work hard. Be generous. It's really what it's saying to us. You ever noticed how theft tends to stir up anger? Whether it's in families or business. Somebody embezzles money from your company that you are part of. Maybe it's your business. Stirs anger, right? They took what's yours. They robbed you. Often heard over the years of previously happy families end up angry and divided. Why? Because some, uh, somebody in the family wants to dispute an inheritance and essentially when it boils all down to it, you just go, they're just after money. That's really all it is. They just want the money or they want something that dad or mom or grandpa or grandma or somebody left and... It stirs anger. Scripture's just real clear. We just need to, we need to not steal. We just need to work hard and we need to be generous. Why would being generous be listed here as part of it? Think of it this way. Somebody can't steal from you what you would willingly give them. 
You see what I'm saying? It's like learning to be generous means that I hold the things in my life loosely. And this is hard for us because we've worked hard for some of these things. But if we hold them loosely, we make them available to God, but we also make them available to those who've been made in his image. And let me just say, from my own personal experience, this is hard. Because I can loan you something, and I'm like, that better come back in the same condition it went out. That's what goes on inside of me, you know, good or better condition. And I think to myself, that's okay to think that way because that's how I do it whenever the people, when I borrow something for somebody else. And so you kind of have this whole inverted good, you know, the, the, the golden rule kind of thing happening. And it doesn't mean that maybe we shouldn't treat each other's things well. We should, but it's just, we've got to hold things a little more loosely. We've got to learn to not steal, to work hard and be generous. Be generous. Sixth step to diffusing anger is to bridle the tongue. Bridle the tongue. I got a picture of a gratuitous picture of the dog Gabe. You see Gabe, here he is. He's 20, uh, he's about five months old now. You can kind of look at him. Some of you look carefully at him. He loves his gentle lead. You say, what is that around? Some of you call it a muzzle. No, it's not. It's called a gentle lead is what it is. Basically, you just put it around their nose and it kind of wraps around the back of his neck. And what it does is it's a, when he pulls, because of where you connect the, the leash to it, when he pulls, it just gives him a gentle, uh, a gentle reminder that, like, hey, not supposed to pull. And as a puppy, it comes in really, really handy as Lori takes him for multiple walks a day at this stage. Uh, in particular, she does because he just, that's kind of what she does, and I do some other things with him, but this doesn't hurt him. But let me just say this. It hurts his ego a little bit, okay? You can give him a treat, and he still doesn't really want to put the gentle lead on. Just like you and I don't really want to bridle our tongue sometimes, you know? We just don't want to do that. Look at verse 29, where it just says, real succinctly, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The scripture is just saying you and I need to eliminate foul and abusive language from our, from our mouths. Why, why would it say that? Well, first of all, it's unbecoming of somebody who's a follower of Jesus because guess what? Jesus didn't talk that way. Jesus didn't. Everything came out of his mouth. He was without sin. Everything came out of his mouth was full of grace and mercy and tenderness concern for how this is going to touch the heart of the other person. So, I mean, this is just the nature of how Jesus communicated. But that's not the nature of how everybody in our culture talks now. We who are followers of Jesus, I mean, sometimes we're seduced into thinking, well, because other people talk a certain way, I need to talk. I, you know, somehow I'm not going to be accepted if I don't, like, sprinkle profanity in my conversation. The scripture is saying, no, that's not how we're to live. We're to we're... let no foul or abusive language be a part of your mouth. I mean, put the gentle lead on. And just remember that this is not how a follower of God talks. And, and let me just say, every one of us can change this. We can. Not if we don't try. 
If we live with the assumption that this ought to happen effortlessly, that I, that I, that it just, I don't even have to work at it. The Holy Spirit's just going to fill me, and I'm not going to have to pay attention to what I'm saying. I'm just going to talk like Jesus without effort. Well, guess what? You're going to blow that. We all are. But if I look at it from the standpoint of just saying, you know, Scripture is really clear here. Notice the. Don't use foul or abusive language. And notice what it says: Let everything you say be good and helpful. Everything. That's all inclusive. So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I love the passage, Proverbs 15:1 says, uh, says this real succinctly: a gentle answer. Deflects anger, but harsh words do what? Make tempers flare. I mean, if you and I don't bridle our tongue, you know, we're stoking the fire of anger in our relational world, even if the other person doesn't respond in anger. We're doing it. We can stir anger face to face with our words. We can stir anger Facebook to Facebook with our words. Then Ephesians 4 wraps up with a plea to forgive others. It's the fourth step, really, the seventh, or the fourth, the seventh step uh, to uh, diffusing anger. And look at verses 30 to 32, where it just says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Implication we can bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way we live. You just need to know that. Some of us don't think that. We just sort of live cavalierly. And No, the Scripture is saying you can, you, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, as some of the translations say. It goes on and says, Remember, He's identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And so it summarizes all of this by saying, so get rid of all bitterness, rage, Anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So much about the spiritual life is contingent on you and me taking seriously what these verses say and diffusing anger from our lives because anger complicates every other area of your life and every other endeavor of trying to overcome sin in your life. Think of it this way. If you've got to struggle with lust and you add anger to it, what's that do? It makes it worse. You've got to struggle with your mouth and you add anger to it. What do you do? You've just made it worse. If we had time, we could walk our way through every area of sin and if you add anger to it, it gets worse, not better. That's why when Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, what's he start out talking about first? Anger. We'll look at that passage in a few weeks, but we got to diffuse anger. God will help us. God will help us if we'll allow ourselves to be helped.
Several years ago, I've used, told the story before, uh, I've used it several times over the years because it's so vivid in my memory. But uh, Brian Irwin, who is over here, and I went to a Chiefs game years ago uh, when they were less expensive to get into. And we were sitting in the end zone area, and both of us will never forget you know, the experience. We're sitting in the end zone, and as will happen much of the time at a Chiefs game, there's way too much alcohol being consumed. And what does alcohol do? You know, it, it tends to prompt people to lose self-control. And what do we watch happen all around us where we were sitting in the end zone? We started watching fights break out between all kinds of groups of people. And it was fascinating because, you know, the, the part of me that's a student of human behavior and just life and relationships, you know, I'm, we're, both, we're, we're both dodging people because it's really close, some of them. But, but part of it is we're watching, just watching how people who have nothing to do with the initial start of the fight, before you know it, they're sucked into it. I mean, now they're a part of it. And, you know, before you know it, there were three fights that broke out within, you know, a couple of seats of us. Thankfully, Brian won his. No. <laughs> Brian did not get in a fight, neither one of us. But what happens with anger? Anger that's, that's kept pent up inside is just looking for a place to vent itself. And if it finds an excuse that in the mind is semi-justifiable, what's it do? It joins the fight. We've seen that happen at the Capitol building last January. We've seen that happen at every protest during the past year. We've seen that happen over all things vaccine and mask and da da da. It just, it's ubiquitous around us right now. How do you and I avoid that happening to us? We've got to diffuse the anger, friends. We've got to do it. Because if you and I diffuse the anger now, guess what? You can be right, you can be near one of those fights and you have sobriety of thought to think, I better get out of this zone and to get yourself out or to get those who are near and dear to you out of the danger zone. And you'll be more like Jesus in the process. It's what God's plan is for his people. So I hope that you'll listen carefully to what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us this morning from Scripture. We need to diffuse anger now because we're living during a time when anger is rapidly gathering beneath the surface of civilization just as magma is pooling beneath Yellowstone National Park right now. And we're wise if we diffuse it now so we never have to deal with the tragic consequences of it erupting at a time and place that's not of your choosing. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me and we're going to close in prayer this morning. Maybe some of us need to give our lives to Christ today because you just say, you just say that. That's who I want to be. I want to live that way, but I'm not, I'm not there. And maybe it's because you've just never given your, life to the, given your life to Jesus and you just need to humble yourself and say, Lord, fill me, make me yours. Here I am. 
I give myself to you. If you'll do that, I promise you, he'll hear you. He'll enter your life and begin to transform your motives, your, your thoughts, your desires, your wants. It begins with an ask, just asking. Maybe some of us need to take that to the next step of what Scripture teaches and be baptized, and just, which is the surrender of the body. When you, when you go underwater in baptism, it's, you're, you're identifying yourself with the death to all of these, Jesus' death, but also the death to all of these patterns of behavior and the old nature. You're saying, I'm going to die to that with God's, with God's help in my life. When you come up out of the water, you're identifying yourself with Jesus' resurrection and the promise that the Holy Spirit will, will come to re reside in your body, is the idea, and begin to transform motives and desires. Some of us need that. Maybe you've never been baptized. You need to do that. Maybe some of us just need to hear what we've been talking about today and begin to diffuse anger. And if you'll do that, I promise. God's Spirit will help you if you just listen and humble yourself and seek Him for help. So, need prayer for something? Come on down afterwards and, or email us. We'll, uh, we'll happy to, to be happy to pray for you. So let's bow our heads and pray and then we'll be dismissed. I'm glad you made it this morning. Father, thank you for your kindness, your faithfulness. Thank you that thank you, you don't go to bed angry toward us that you have laid aside your anger. Thank you, Father, that you poured out, you heaped all of your anger at humanity, of all things, on your son, Jesus. The result of that is you're not mad at us at this point. Your great longing is for all of us to humble ourselves before you and come running to you for help. Because you've already poured out your anger. And your wrath is not the is not the inheritance of those who come running to you right now. It's just not. Your mercy is the inheritance of all who come running to you. And so, Lord, we just humble ourselves. We come running to you in spirit and just say, cleanse us, make us new, fill us with your spirit, help us to become men and women of holiness and righteousness like Jesus who forgive and who work hard and are generous toward those around us and who are kind and tender-hearted and forgiving just as Jesus was kind and tender-hearted and has been forgiving toward us. Help us to become like that, Father. And Lord, as you do that, we'll give you credit for the transformation in us and in the relationships around us. Lord, help us to take all of this seriously right now so that if culture continues to deteriorate in some of these ways we'll be in a place where we can think soberly and respond like Jesus would and our lives carry the aroma the love of Christ everywhere we go during a time when there'll be a whole lot of stuff going on that just doesn't smell of Christ it just smells so help us God help us Ask, Lord, that you'd prompt each of us specifically what the next thing you want us to do would be and give us the humility and courage to head in that direction and to do it together, Lord. That's what we need. We need each other and we need you. Go with us now as we leave. Bring us back together next week safely. 
We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, and everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. 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 Bless you all.